0: All right. Well, welcome everybody to Eagle Brook Church. It's so good to have you with us today at all of our campuses and watching online because today we get to gather together with billions of believers around the world to celebrate that the stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty and Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. But the question I want to ask you today is this. Do you believe in miracles? In 1980. When the United States hockey team won the Olympic championship against the Russian national team, Al Michaels, who was the announcer, gave this now famous call. He said, do you believe in miracles? And it may have felt like Team USA's win was a miracle, but maybe here's a better definition of what a miracle is. It's an event caused by the power of God. So it's not something that we can do as human beings. It's caused by God. That is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature. Let me ask you, do you believe in those kinds of miracles? Many Americans do. In fact, in a recent study, they found that two out of every three Americans, so 63%, said that they believe that there is a God who can and will do miracles in people's lives. And not only did they believe that, but two out of five said that they've experienced an event in their life that they can only describe as miraculous. If that's true, two out of five Americans, that means that 133 million, 807,118 Americans have experienced an event in their life that they would describe as miraculous. Now, if you're like me and you're a little bit skeptical by nature, or maybe you're here today and you're not even necessarily sure what you believe about Jesus, you might hear that and you're like, eh, how do I know? I, mean, I just tend to be a little skeptical of those kinds of things. How do we know that all 133 million people actually experienced a miracle in their life? I mean, how do we know they weren't mistaken? How do we know there's not a misunderstanding? Might be wishful thinking, might be confirmation bias, might be placebo effect. How do we know that those miraculous events happened? A couple of years ago, I woke up on a Saturday morning. I thought, I'm gonna fix the dishwasher because it hadn't been latching shut properly. And then I'm going to go fix the treadmill because the belt had kept slipping off. I started with the, tread, or with the dishwasher, practically took the thing apart. Could not figure out what the problem was. That was fail number one. I then went downstairs to try to fix the treadmill. I loosened the belt. I got it lined up just right. I tightened it with an Allen wrench until skin was coming off of my finger. And I could not get the treadmill to work. That was fail number two. I went upstairs and I said to my wife, Sarah, I'm like, hey, you have to call somebody, fix the treadmill, fix the dishwasher. I got home a few hours later and Sarah looked at me and she said, hey, I fixed the treadmill and the dishwasher. <laughs> I said, you're kidding me. I said, what did you do? She said, well, with the dishwasher, there was a knife that was kind of poking out where the silverware goes. It was just blocking it shut. I swear I checked that. That was like the most obvious thing that it could have been. I said, Well, what about the treadmill? She said, Oh, I just tightened it and prayed. I said, And that worked? I said, I tightened that thing until skin was coming off of my finger. She said, Did you pray? Did you pray? Now, did God come down from heaven to fix my treadmill? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe God did respond to that prayer. All that to say, if you're skeptical of the supernatural, I understand where you're coming from. But I want to make the case today that miracles happen. I want to make the case that there is a God outside of our space and time continuum. And from time to time, that God intervenes in our world. And not just intervenes in our world, but can intervene in your life. Let me ask you, where do you need a miracle this Easter? Maybe you look at your marriage and you go, it would take a miracle to heal my marriage. Maybe you look at your family and you think it would take a miracle to fix our family. Maybe there's been an illness in your life. You've been diagnosed with a disease and you say, God, I need a miracle of healing. Where is it in your life that you need a miracle this Easter? Speaking of Easter, what do miracles have to do with Easter? Why are we talking about miracles on Easter? Well, there is one miracle that if it happened, it would make all other miracles possible. There's one miracle that allows us to be physically and spiritually alive. Without this one miracle, we would have nothing to celebrate this weekend. And here's the miracle. It's the miracle of the resurrection. It's the miracle that a human being, Jesus Christ, died and then came back to life again. We don't like to talk much about death, do we? We play a board game called life. We eat a cereal called life. Ever heard of a cereal called death? (laughs) People like to wake up really slowly in the morning. We buy something called life insurance, but that's odd because what do you have to do to collect it? Well, you have to die. But nobody calls it death insurance because that would just be a little bit too depressing. There's something inside every single human being that wants to live forever, which is what makes Jesus' words in John chapter 11 so powerful. Before I read those words to you, let me just set a little bit of the context here. There's two sisters, Martha and Mary, and they have a brother named Lazarus. And he becomes deathly ill. And Martha and Mary are friends with Jesus. They believe that Jesus can heal their brother. So immediately they send a messenger. Go find Jesus. He's in a different town, different city. Go find him and bring him back. But what's interesting is that when Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick, he doesn't exactly race to his bedside. Kind of dilly-dallies a little bit. So much so that by the time he finally arrives, Lazarus has died. And so Martha, the sister, when she sees Jesus coming down that path towards her house, she goes racing out to him. And she said, Jesus, where where were you? Why did it take you so long? If you had gotten here sooner, my brother would still be alive. Maybe you've had a moment like that with God. God, why didn't you do something? If you you had done something, my mother, my father, someone, they'd still be alive. And Jesus does not answer her question directly. But here's how he answers her question. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Some of the most beautiful words that have ever been spoken. He who believes in me, Jesus said, will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked her. And Martha looked at Jesus and she said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who was to come into the world. Christianity was not founded upon a set of teachings, Christianity was not founded upon a set of religious rituals or rules. Christianity was founded upon a historical event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that everything hinges on this. Paul, a man who wrote many letters that are in the New Testament, he just lays it all on the line. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. In other words, if the resurrection didn't happen, we shouldn't be in church right now. I shouldn't be speaking. You shouldn't be listening. We should all be out trying to indulge in every possible pleasure that we can think of. But if the resurrection did happen, then there's no one to be more pitied than the person who wastes their 80 or 90 years on earth chasing after empty pleasures Only to miss out on the resurrection and the life. When I was in college, I became a Christian, put my faith in Jesus. And I remember shortly after that thinking, do I believe that a dead guy came back to life? Because that doesn't normally happen. People don't die and then come back to life again. And so I picked up a book. It was a debate between a Christian and an atheist. And it was about the resurrection. And I remember the atheist, his name was Gerd Ludemann. And I thought, oh, he's going to be smart. Like, Gerd, first name, going to be smart. And, and he, was, he was. He was very smart. But here was his primary argument. He said the disciples were hallucinating. That was his primary argument. He said, you know what? They thought they saw Jesus in resurrected form, but it was just a case of, like, bad mushrooms or something. I mean, they just, heebie-jeebie stuff, and they just had a hallucination. It doesn't take a genius to figure out what a crazy argument that is. The Bible says that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. He appeared to the 12 disciples all at once. People don't have hallucinations in groups. I'm not standing next to you having the same hallucination that you're having at the same time. That is scientifically impossible. And so I got done reading this book, and I became convinced that the evidence pointed to a historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is that evidence? Well, first, the total transformation of the disciples. I mean, how do you explain how the disciples went from being fearful and cowardly to all of a sudden boldly preaching the name of Christ even in the face of death? Peter's a good example of this. Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Jesus is arrested. He's taken away. And at one point, this middle school girl comes up to Peter and says, weren't you one of the guys who was with Jesus? And Peter's like, no, no I, I didn't even know him. Then, after the resurrection, Peter is traveling around telling anybody who will listen about Jesus, so much so that he's arrested And sentenced to death by crucifixion. But Peter says, crucify me upside down. Because I am not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is another one. James was initially skeptical. That's a tough sell, by the way. Getting your brother to believe you're God. He's like, no, you're not God, okay. That's a tough sell. And like you, James was initially skeptical. But then after the resurrection... James is all of a sudden leading the church in Jerusalem, and he too died for his faith. If if it wasn't the resurrection, Peter and James were radically transformed by something. Here's the second piece of evidence. What motive did the disciples have to lie? I think this might be the strongest piece of evidence. We all know people who lie. Just go on any online dating site. I mean, you'll read about guys and they're like, I'm funny, I'm witty, I love listening to people talk, I love puppies and romantic comedies, and you're like, okay, you're lying. Or or you meet someone on a date that you met them online, you're looking at them, you're going, wait, you don't look anything like your profile picture. Like your profile picture was Brad Pitt from 20 years ago, and it's not what I'm looking at right now. People lie. Why do they lie? They lie because they stand to gain something from it. They're going to avoid a consequence. They're going to receive a reward. If the disciples were lying, do you know what it got them? got them killed. 11 of the 12 disciples were killed because of their faith in Jesus. The one who wasn't killed was the apostle John. And at one point, John was put into a boiling pot of water to be tortured He somehow survived and was exiled to an island off of Greece called Patmos. Now, I don't know about you, but the minute they put me in the boiler at McDonald's, I'm out. I'm like, hey, you know what? I thought we were going to get rich. I thought we were going to be famous telling people we saw. Apparently, that's not happening. Apparently, we're getting boiled alive. So we were just kidding. This is so important. The disciples were not dying for something they thought was true. They were dying for something they would have known was false. There's a difference. We see people all the time die for religious beliefs that they thought were true. But that's not what the disciples were doing. They were dying for something that they would have known was false. They would have known if they were making up seeing Jesus after he died. They would have known if they had stolen the body and the tomb wasn't empty. And human nature tells us that people will die for something that they believe is true. But human nature tells us that no one is going to die for something that they know is false. And the disciples would have known. Here's the third piece of evidence. We have multiple eyewitness accounts. So I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as I read this, I want you to keep in mind that most scholars believe this dates two to three years after Jesus' death. Even Gerd, the atheist I mentioned earlier, he concedes, yes, this is two to three years after Jesus died, which is a devastating concession to his argument, because here's what Paul writes. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he says, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Here's what Peter is saying: Bring it on. If you don't believe that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time, why don't you go ask them? They're still alive. Why don't you go ask John? He's he's over there at the marketplace. Why don't you go ask Peter? He, I think he's over there at the temple. This is why Christianity spread like wildfire over the Mediterranean region. It was because of the firsthand eyewitness account of over 500 people who saw Jesus in resurrected form. Now, if you're here today and you're like, "Ah, I'm still a little bit skeptical. I hope what I've said will cause you to want to dig a little deeper. To dig beyond the cliches of, oh, it's just an invisible guy in the sky. Or I don't believe in fairy tales. I don't believe in children's fables. I hope it helps you to move beyond, well, I heard that the resurrection story was based on other ancient religions. And then the Catholic Church took it and started to use it to control people or whatever else you've heard. And that you would open your heart and your mind to the thought That it's true, that it happened, that it's historical, and if you're someone here today who already believes in Christ and has put your faith in him, my hope is that you would remember some of what I've said so that you can give an answer to why you believe what you believe, but don't miss this, it's a miracle. Dead people don't normally die and then come back to life, but Jesus wasn't normal. He was the son of God. He lived a sinless life. He did not deserve the penalty of death, but he voluntarily died on the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve and defeat death once and for all. And that is what we're celebrating today. It was a miracle. Do you believe in miracles? I think a lot of people would say, yeah, I do believe in miracles, but the issue is I just don't see a lot of miracles in my own life. And if that's you, <clears throat> there's a couple different possibilities for it. One, think about what the definition of a miracle is. I mean, by its nature, it's unique. We shouldn't expect to see lots of them in our lifetime. But here's the second reason why I think a lot of us don't think we see miracles, and it's this, we miss the miracles that are around us every day. My son Hudson, when he was five years old, he used to love to snorkel. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, your son's been snorkeling since he was five years old? No, I would send him up to the bathroom to take a bath, and I would walk upstairs, and he would have goggles on, and he would go, and he would dive under the water in our bathtub. And I'd be like, Hudson, it's time to get out, it's time to get out. And he'd just be down there for two or three minutes. There's no coral reefs in my bathtub. There's no exotic fish. There's no stingrays. I mean, he would come up, and, what are you looking at? This is just a porcelain tub. Then when he was 10 years old, we went to Orlando and we went to this place called Discovery Cove. And they had a pool that had exotic fish and stingrays and coral reefs, but we didn't know it. There was a couple different pools at this place and the other ones were chlorine pools that you could just swim in. And so when we got there, Hudson put on his goggles and started swimming over the surface. And after about 15 seconds, he jumped up, threw off his goggles. He said, Mom, Dad, I just swam right over a stingray for a kid who had been snorkeling in the bathtub for five years. This was quite the experience. I wonder today how many of us have been snorkeling in the bathtub. That there is a world all around us that God has created and there's sunsets and there's birds and there's mountains and there's lakes. There's the St. Croix river winding through the rocky bluffs of Taylor's Falls. There's Lake Superior with its endless waves crashing along the North shore. There's sunsets every night, explosions of red and orange and yellow and pink. There's hummingbirds that appear to be suspended in mid-air. And then God created people, people in his own image, moms and dads, siblings and spouses, each of them a miracle in and of themselves. And then God says, and you can talk to me. Wherever you are, whenever you want, you can open your mouth and you can pray and talk to the God of this entire universe. The Bible says this, come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there you will receive mercy and will find grace to help you when you need it. To which some of us respond, "Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do that maybe at some point, God, but, but I just want to finish this video game first. I want to get to the next level. I'm just going to scroll through YouTube just a little bit more. We're snorkeling in the bathtub. We're snorkeling in the bathtub when there's a whole world of miracles around us that God has created. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God and they do. When you wake up tomorrow morning and your lungs take in oxygen that you can't even see, it's a miracle. When you open up your eyes, your eyes, which are more complex than any human computer or invention, and those eyes begin to take in light and images, it is a miracle. We miss the miracles that are all around us. I want to show you the story of a family in our church. This is a family who attended our church, and you may remember this story. It was somewhat famous. It made the national news. But at the very core, this story is about a God who can work miracles in people's lives. Take a look. Friday night in January and a birthday party is underway at the Hoffman House. This is the birthday boy, Landon. He turned nine and is celebrating with some silly games and a slumber party. You probably don't recognize Landon, but I'll bet you remember his story and what happened to him nearly four years ago at the Mall of America. This is what he looked like on April 12th, 2019. This picture taken about an hour before he and his mom walked into the mall to meet up with a preschool buddy and his mom on the third floor.
1: My name is Carrie Hoffman. I have a husband, Dave, who I've been married to for 12 years, and I have twins who are 11, Hayden and Haley, and Landon is now nine. My family has a story to share, and it's a hard one to listen to, it's very heartbreaking, but out of it is an amazing miracle. So Landon, was five years old and he was ending preschool. And so we were going to go do something fun to celebrate with a friend. This friend of ours really wanted to go to the Crayola factory at the Mall of America. And the boys were excited saying, yes, let's go there, let's go there. And we went. And right when I was driving into that parking ramp, I just got an overwhelming sense that something's wrong. I shouldn't be here. It was just like chills. It was just a feeling, but we're here so I'm just gonna pray. The mall was not open yet. So they played in the car for a little bit, then we started to go in and we're at the Rainforest Cafe on the third floor. And of course the boys are you know, so excited they wanna see the alligators. And the alligator was not on and there's a big sign that says, please don't step on the rock. And the boys were climbed up on that rock, looking over the edge and at that time, a stranger came up and was whispering to the boys. And so I stopped talking to this mom and I kind of went over to him and I said, oh, excuse me, do you not want us on this rock? I'm thinking he must work here. He must be like fixing it or something. And he smiled at me and he said, no, 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 you're okay, you can be here. So then I thought, oh, okay, you know, I stepped back. And then he whispered to them again. And I thought, do you not want us here? And then he said, no, you're fine. And in that second, he picked Landon up under the arms and ran and just threw him off that third floor balcony. Squads at the mall, we have a report over on the south side that someone just fell from the third floor to the first floor. You know, in the moment, you're so shocked. So I flew down those escalator stairs and I just yelled, oh my gosh, somebody threw my baby, somebody threw my baby. And I got to the bottom and I ran to him and I just kept thinking I was not going to lose him. He was going to live. I was keeping Landon. And the only person who could help me was God. So I just cried out, save my baby, save my baby. And I looked up and there was three levels of people this everywhere and I yelled, pray. Stop staring and pray. Two nurses came who were on the second level and they actually worked at Children's Hospital. And they knew how to save lives. And so they were there within one minute and gave him CPR. I remember them counting really loud, you know, giving him chest compressions. And the nurses would say, we have a heartbeat. And I would say, yes, we have a heartbeat. And then they would say, he took a breath. And I'd say, yes, he took a breath. And then they took him away in the ambulance. And I went in with him. And as soon as I got in there, they said, we need you out because we have to work on him. And as soon as I got out, he opened his eyes for one second just to tell me he's okay.
0: Carrie's prayers continued all the way to Children's Hospital in Minneapolis, where a team of surgeons was standing by. The nearly 40-foot fall shattered his wrists, hands and elbows, broke his femur, shattered the bones in his face, and injured his brain. They
1: wheeled him in and they instantly just started working on him, every part of his body and I stood on a chair and I prayed for the doctor's hands to be used by God to fix him, to heal him. Mommy loves you so much. We knew it was gonna be a slow journey, but we were gonna take this one day at a time until every bone in his body was healed and everything in his body was perfect. If you could give the camera a thumbs up, I'd be very happy because I could show daddy. I love you, Landon. When Landon was in the hospital, I tried to keep my mind on God and God alone. I had praise and worship music on. I never had the TV on. And you know, whatever I was fighting, I would look up scriptures. And I journaled every night. And whatever the nurses guided me on, what he needed is what I would focus on and ask God to help me do. And God kept me in that sense of peace the entire time. Jesus. You. This.
0: I know oh, what the Bible tells me.
1: So. so... Today, four years later, I finally feel like I have him back. The first year at the hospital, it was probably the hardest time ever, because he didn't look like himself. He didn't act like himself. His personality is completely different. He was struggling in school and with friends, and it was hard. But we're finally getting back to who he was.
0: Say check one, two. Check one, two. My name is Landon and I'm nine years old. I'm the guy that got thrown at the third story at the Mall of America. And that was the part where God came in and helped. It was a miracle that I'm alive. God healed all the parts of my body. I'm perfect! Hello kitty. So this is Joy. She is my kitty. So Joy, you gotta look at the camera. Hello
1: my kitty. So over and over again with another miracle. Over and over again. I mean, you always hear of them, but you don't know that you're capable of receiving one until you do. And then once you do, your eyes are just wide open to wow. Look what God just did, again and again and again. I know not everybody gets their miracle. I know they pray and they believe just as much as I did. All I can say is we don't know why things happen in this world that are bad or evil or broken, but Jesus is the hope, he's the only way. He died on the cross for your sins because he loves you so much. I do believe that we're all born to be the walking hands and feet of Jesus. And we're supposed to walk around and share his love the best that we can. And that's all I'm trying to do is share Jesus' love and so is Landon. Landon talks about this all the time, almost every day. Even today, he told everybody that he's gonna go do an interview for church so he can tell people about Jesus because some people don't know and they need to know. So he's gonna go tell them.
0: Well, I would say, that I want people to know my story because I want them to believe in God and go to heaven. Yeah. I visited Landon in the hospital, and I looked down at him in that bed, hooked up to tubes, and at that time he was unconscious. And as I see him in that video laughing and playing and speaking, just me. But it's a miracle of God. It only can happen from a God who chooses to intervene in our world. And I believe that that same God can do a miracle in your life as well. That we serve a God who can raise the dead and heal the sick and restore a marriage and give you help where you need it. As you came in today, you received this card. If you wanna just go ahead and grab that for a moment. And if you're online, you can scan the QR code on your screen and it'll bring it up. But I hope this is a holy moment between you and God. You'll see the front here, it says, what miracle do you need? And as a way of speaking to God and confirming this in our life, I would love for you to invite you just to take a moment and to write on there, what miracle do you need right now? And maybe you say, you know what, I've I've done stuff like this before. I've prayed and God didn't answer my prayer. I believed in the miracle and the miracle didn't happen. Next weekend, we're going to start a series called Before You Lose Your Faith. And next weekend, I'm going to talk about what do you do when you feel like God has let you down. When you pray and the prayer wasn't answered, when you expected and what you hoped for didn't happen, we're going to devote a whole message to that. And so if that's you or if you know someone like that, move heaven and earth to get them to church next weekend. But I would love for you to take a moment and to write on here, God, what what miracle do you need in your life today? You can drop this off on the way out as you leave. Because our promise to you as a staff is we're going to take all of these cards that we receive and we're going to pray over them this week at our staff meeting. And we're going to ask that you would see God moving in your life. If you flip over to the backside, it says, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. The greatest miracle of all is the miracle of a transformed life. And I love what Landon said. I can't say it any better. I want every person hearing this. To believe in Jesus so that they will go to heaven. That's really what it's all about. And I believe that for some of you today, today is your day. It's your day to say, God, I believe. I I acknowledge my sin. I repent of it. God, I'm not going to live that way anymore. And I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, just check the box. Put your first name, your last name. We'd love to send you some free resources to help you get to know God and the Bible, so put your email on there as well if you would. But I want to lead you in a prayer right now to surrender your life and to believe in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, I believe that you can do miracles. We don't always see it, God. We don't always feel it. But right now, God, in faith, we declare that we know that you are powerful and capable and able to do more than we ever ask or even imagine. God, I thank you for the miracle of Landon's life. I thank you for the healing that he's experienced. And God, I ask right now for the miracles that are represented across our campuses and online, God, that they would, you would hear those prayers and that they would experience you working in their life. And God, we trust you, even if the miracle doesn't happen the way we hoped it would or thought it would, God, we trust you, we believe in you, we hope in you. And there are, God, there are some of us here today who the greatest miracle of all is what they're about to do. They're about to put their faith in Jesus. In the quietness of their mind right now, God, they're going to declare, God, I acknowledge my sin. I confess it to you and right now I believe in Jesus Christ I believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty my sins deserve but he resurrected back to life it was a miracle so that we could defeat death and have the promise of eternal life so that we would never die but live forever with you God I pray that you would save me and forgive me in this moment as I surrender my life to you God, I thank you that you are a God who is not far from us. I thank you that you are a God we can approach and talk to and that you will help us in our time of need. We celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, happy Easter, everybody. And we'll see you next weekend for Before You Lose Your Faith.